G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We might all know that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And we are told, Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. So... A conversation today about how love works in the organizations that we're a part of. When you are in a business or a church or a club, and let's not neglect the fact that we're all a part of a family somewhere, well, how do you love the staff, the clients, the advisors, the suppliers, and yes, even your competitors? Do we leave the command to love at church on Sunday and assume a secular battle in a dog-eat-dog world on Monday. A conversation today about the expression of love at work today with special guest Christina Dean. Christina leads Uniforte, specialising in business and organisational change management. Christina is a world leader in change management, having pioneered the first educational qualification in the world for change management, a diploma of change management. She's a trainer, a coach and mentor whose experience of God in business has been part of her inspiration to succeed. Christina, a special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Christina, when we talk about love in the workplace, in the business that you might own, that you might run, uh, we're not sort of talking about the same type of love as you might read about in a romance novel. What are your thoughts here? (laughs) Well, um, some people do think that that's a good place to have it, have a romance in the office, but it's actually, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually uh, not a very uh, uh, a, a good idea uh, for business or for anything else. So the, the, you're right. There are four things that are uh, that Christian uh, Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote about. That there are four types of love. There's a storage love, which is an empathy bond. And storage love, <clears throat> pardon me, um, storage love is liking someone through a fondness or a familiarity, family members or people who relate in familiar ways that have found themselves bonded by chance. So it's, it's a natural love for a parent, for a child, and it's mostly emotive. And, um, <clears throat> and Lewis considered it responsible for about nine-tenths of all solid and lasting human relationships. So then there's another one called philia, which is a friend bond. Philia is the love between friends as close as siblings in strength and duration. The friendship is the strong bond existing between people who share common values and interests or activities. 
<coughs> you'll have to excuse me, Neil. I've got a bit of a frog in my throat. I've had a bit of a challenge with my throat, and I'll, I'll just keep powering And you on. know, Christina, we knew this before the conversation today, and so mm. listeners mm. Uh, listeners won't be too concerned if you need to clear your throat uh, because, yeah, lots of people suffering with a bit of a bug or a frog in the throat around this time. Hey, we're talking about Thank these you. four types of love, and, uh, you yeah. know, we give them highfalutin, Christian, biblical-type names. Uh, essentially, though, we're talking about here, you know, the difference that we have, you know, there's a difference between the love that a husband and wife have uh, to the love that they have for their children and that mm-hmm. difference that we have for someone who is homeless and the difference mm-hmm. that we might have for the poor people in a developing country when you see those uh, heart-wrenching ads on the TV and we feel I've got a love in my heart I need to give, I need to support. So these different mm-hmm. ways of loving, as as we say, are different to the sorts of things we think about as love in a romance novel. So Exactly. So when we're applying those in our workplace, clearly when we love, it doesn't always feel like we're, uh, you know, big love hearts bursting out of our chest. Uh, no, exactly right. It's really just about caring for one another in the workplace and uh, even that is quite challenged these days. Um, I hear it left, right and centre now that one of the biggest growth areas in organisations is the hiring of uh, psychologists who can come in and sort out their problems for them. And they're really all just based on relationship issues and it, it, there, it's, that's a very good barometer on what's going wrong in society that people are bringing into the organisations and, uh, uh, and making it very difficult to, um, to actually care for one another because, you know, one of the first things that goes when people behave strangely is, uh, is wanting to have anything to do with them. So this is a, uh, the, the love that God uh, wants us to, uh, to learn about, which is called agape love, which is a, being more charitable, and it's a love that exists regardless of changing circumstances or when it is no longer convenient, which is, you know, we've got this huge divorce rate in, in Australia now too. Queensland heads the, heads the uh, hit parade in that regard. Um, and it's, it's, about, uh, it's, it's about being able to consistently love somebody, to care for somebody, even if things are difficult. And even though, you know, you may have lots of money or no money, or even though you might be famous or not famous, or even though you might feel um, having a good day or having a bad day, um, you know, it's about that, that love regardless of changing circumstances. Interesting, isn't it? And uh, I think some listeners will detect where our conversation might lead here because if you're talking about a Christian commentary on how you bring love into your business or into a workplace or into the organisation that you might lead, when you said it's a thing that's just so prevalent now, when people have got relational problems within their organisation, they're calling in all sorts of secular counsellors, and they're trying to work things out uh, with psychologists uh, so that people can get along with each other. Uh, when we talk about uh, loving one another uh, as Christ loved us or loving one another as, our, uh, as we love ourselves, this is, has been a Christian principle that is being lost in workplaces now, but this has been something that has been in force for thousands of years and leads to the flourishing way that businesses happen in a Christian environment. Now, am I, am I being too uh, optimistic in saying that? I'm, I'm, that doesn't say that we'll never have a problem, but Christian businesses that have this principle at their heart are going to flourish, aren't they? 
Uh, well, you know, uh, that's my understanding of it, and uh, and I was I was the, uh, uh, quite surprised to find that out some years ago myself. That actually, it's not about necessarily the productivity in the organisation as much as the relationships in the organisation. Getting the relationships right is uh, is the key to better productivity. To higher productivity. If those relationships are always um, uh, self-interested, uh, fractured, um, caring about themselves, uh, they become easily annoyed with other people, they become easily angry and frustrated and scared and anxious and fearful and even ang- arrogant under those sorts of circumstances. You know, they become very, oh, it's all about me. And, you know, that's not my quote. That's a pretty well-known quote. It's all about me. Um, but it's actually not all about me. It's all about us. And that's just not how God designed the planet. He designed it that it's all about us, not all about me. Isn't it interesting, and perhaps those who've been around a little while and worked in different workplaces, uh, you know you don't really enjoy or you're not as productive in a place where you go each day to work and you clock in and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a battlefield. And it's not a battlefield of uh, how the business uh, gets productive and uh, and looks after its clients. It's the battlefield between people who are on the shop floor or in the office environment. Uh, those sorts of things are very, very hard to overcome once you've got them out of control. The worst part about you're absolutely right. The worst part about it is that that that, uh, that time doesn't stop. So the day that you waste up to three o'clock in the afternoon, for example, many people that I know, many executives, many managers just can't get those two or three things done every day that they come to the office hoping to do. Because as soon as they get there, Sally and Mary have had a fight, and John and Peter won't talk to each other, and so and so and so, and it and it's on. And they've got to go into uh, they've got to go into counsellor mode. They've got to go in and sort out those sorts of silly problems. They've got to go in and and sort out the silly relationships that are going on. None of which have anything to do with business, but all have to do with well, it's all about me, and you're wrong, and I'm right. Um, and that's actually uh, the quickest road to downfall for most executives because they find they cannot get done the things that they need to get done because they've got problems with IT, they've got problems with uh, people. And when, you, when you've got your problems with IT and, and people, you don't really have very much time left in the day to actually get on with important things like working with clients, finding out better ways to work with them and etc. So it's very hard to run a business if you're always up against it with all of these relational problems. Interesting, as we were reflecting, as you rightly said, a lot of businesses spending a lot of money bringing in psychologists to try and sort out the relational differences within the workplace. It's also one of the reasons why it is well and truly on the rise uh, and there's probably lots of vacancies to fill but the thought of chaplains who go into a workplace, and these are chaplains who have got a grip on uh, this great command, love the Lord your God and love one another as yourself, and they carry something with them in the way that they can help to resolve those relational differences. And so a lot of businesses these days, Christina, are on the uptake of chaplains because it makes a difference relationally within their workplace. How awesome. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. 
um, after all, you know, all of us run a business for him. You know, we're all, you know, we're just part of his big his big business machine. Um, you know, if we're not running our organisations for him, then we have to stop and think about well, who are we really running it for? And uh, why isn't it being successful? Well, it's not being successful because you're not following my way of doing things. Um, and he's the only one who's allowed to be arrogant about that, by the way. Now, let's talk through some issues here. Uh, Christian organisations are not immune from all of the challenges that every other business faces, whether it's a shortage of staff, and a lot of businesses are faced with that right now, uh, all the disruption that we've been through over the last few years, uh, so far as the pandemic, uh, the unpredictable weather, I mean, the supply chain issues, I mean, floods, cyclones, a fickle marketplace, even the global conditions that affect us, we're not immune from that. So if we haven't got a team that functions together well, that loves one another, uh, all of those things get all the more difficult to face, don't they? Well, they do indeed. Um, if you if you don't have trust as a sure foundation in your organisation, uh, that's and that's really something that only uh, an executive can start to do. If you have no trust running from the top down through the organisation, then it's very difficult to expect people to be able to trust each other and keep working together, because it'll be a, it'll be an environment where they all are, are looking after them after themselves, because it's a it's a fight or flight uh, response. Uh, if you can't trust the boss, then who can you trust? And that pushes us back into feeling like, oh well, I'll just I'll just go to work and I I need the job and I'll get the money and I'll um, if I can find a better job, I'm off. So you know, these days you we know that it's not just the pandemics and it's not just the uh, the difficulties with our weather. It's also the difficulties with <clears throat> low unemployment rates. At the moment, we've got the very lowest unemployment rate that we've had for many, many years, you know, several decades. And that means that <clears throat> organisations have to be super careful as to how they're going to keep their people. So if they thought that they could get away with being, you know, a bit, a bit left of Genghis Khan in the past, well, now is much more a time when we have to start thinking about relationships as a, as a primary driver uh, of future business and build those basic uh, uh, factors of trust. So trust is uh, based on four inputs, and the first is principal behaviour. It was interesting because we were, you were talking about integrity in your previous program, and uh, it occurred to me, I thought, well, you know, in, integrity is what everything sits on. If, um, if, uh, <clears throat> if there is no integrity, then you really cannot expect uh, the organisation to flourish in any way. You know, the Lord says, if you're not faithful in little ways, well, you won't be faithful with big things. So, you know, if you're not faithful in, with little things, then you won't be faithful with big things. And, um, uh, and you know, well, as uh, I, for one, am one of those who listens to him, having realised uh, myself and having seen that um, my way is actually hasn't been the right way. And it's only since I've been obeying God in all these ways, or as many as I, I've learned each day, um, that actually business is much better and I'm much happier and people around me are much more steady and reliable and uh, 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 enjoying what they do and much more loving toward each other. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 
on Vision. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Is this your experience in the workplace? And you don't have to be the boss to respond here. You might have a reflection on what goes on in a typical workplace, some of the difficult behaviour, the challenging circumstances, the relationship breakdown between people who ought to be friendly working together, and if they were, then there would be something significant happened in the way that that business flourishes. Well, uh, your insight would be welcome on 1-800-316-316. Christina Dean is our guest, leads Uniforte. Uh, She's a specialist in change management. Uh, Christina, let's see if we can focus on the easy and practical ways that listeners today can apply some of these sorts of thoughts that we're having uh, into their experience at work from today. Where would we start so far as applying love in the workplace? I think, uh, you know, for me, the moment that I really understood why Jesus came was when he washed his disciples' feet. And I thought, holy cow. Imagine if all executives, if all managers washed the feet of their staff. I mean, because that's literally what he was doing. They were his staff. They were the people he was leading in charge and he was going on. And serving one another, I think, is one of the the greatest things that we can do for each other at all sorts of different levels. Uh, leaders can do it with each other, staff can do it with each other, contractors can do it with it. You can serve one another through supply chain providers, through your customers, etc., etc. Even when, even when you're running a really great business and your competitor looks over and says, "What are you doing?" In some ways, you're serving that person by helping them to see how great they can be. And you know, serving one another is enormously important. One of the most important thing, pieces of work I think I've ever done was um, in the early 2000s, uh, I was asked to have a look at the culture of uh, an organisation called Queensland Rail, which was then a government institution. And, um, and the thing that I noticed most about it was the lack of um, service. It, it was not a service-oriented organisation. It was a trains-run organisation. They thought about it as they thought about themselves as running trains. And uh, one of the biggest difficulties was that people, there were examples, for example, you know, when you have uh, several people working in a pod, you know how that sort of setup is. And two people had been working alongside each other for 30 years and they didn't know what each other did, which was breathtaking. <laughs> okay, yep. They didn't know what each other did. And uh, how can you have any collaboration and cooperation if that's how you work? So one of the big things that, uh, that I did to, to enable their culture to work, start working a lot better was to introduce the idea of internal service and external service and but to think of themselves as an organisation that worked together toward a common goal rather than just thinking of themselves as well we run trains and you catch them if you if you if you're lucky and if you don't if you're not lucky well you won't too catch bad. it. Mm. Um, yeah too bad. Um, but since then it has trend it that actually took about six years. It was a lot to it. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't just as simple as serve one another was as just a couple of little words there. There were an awful lot of um uh, a lot of work and it actually took six years to implement this program to transform it from one culture to the one to the other culture. But it's also the culture that enabled the organization to separate out and for one organisation to remain Queensland Rail as a passenger rail and the other one to become 
a company, a, 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 um, a, an ASX listed company called Horizon. So, you know, without that prior uh, build up of what it means to work together to serve one another, um, that may not have ever happened. And interesting, while we're talking about a principle that is led from the front by Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, actually says serving one another is good and demonstrated that in that foot washing exercise on the night that they had the Last Supper. I mean, he has led from the front. Even if you're in an organization that doesn't call itself Christian, these sorts of principles work because they are just uh, they're transcendent principles. They're above uh, the sorts of things that you might come up with in a, a special psychology class on how to do business. Serving one mm-hmm. another works. Hey, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Bill in Victoria. Hi, Bill. Welcome. <coughs> Oh, good morning, Neil, and good morning, Christine. Thank you very much for your program. Um, I, I just I, I work with uh, unemployed people and people who've been displaced by automation. People who are, you know, on on benefits and are being sort of often demonised and put down and and rubbished and that because they're dull bludgers. This sort of mentality. But I'm finding that a lot of people, like say, over the last forty years, a lot of the full time jobs have been casualised. Uh, people are now doing three or four jobs to earn some little bit of income to be able to pay extremely high rents. We're getting sometimes you're getting um, people, pe- people, companies downsizing, bringing in automation, um, sort of pushing wages down. So that you're seeing situation with the fruit, fruit picking where they don't pay Aussies their award wage, but they're bringing in cheap labour from overseas. Um, I'm just running a few things past it. We're seeing situations in, say, I've heard of a company in Norway where the, the, all, all the profits of the company are shared amongst the wages and, and, and the, the boss doesn't get any more. So it's, it's not so much a communist thing, but more in terms of a compassionate justice sharing and all working together as a, as a family, as a community. So you just like your... Uh, comments on on some of those things please bill an interesting dimension you're introducing there uh because uh yes it does sound a little bit uh, socialist uh, communist when you have an organization that has its policy of sharing profits with the employees certainly the uh, principle sounds good uh, but i wonder if you've got a thought or two here christina in in so far as how bill is uh, producing that uh, that thought um, I totally agree with you, Bill. Uh, it's uh, uh, profit sharing is not a an uncommon thing in our own economy these days. Uh, in fact, I, I've, I've worked and coached for, uh, a, the chief executive of an organisation who had that as their principle. And this was a finance organisation, and that was their um, that was their modus operandi. Uh, and he spent a lot of time thinking about how he was going to. Uh, engage his staff more and more um, through profit sharing, um, and they all worked exceptionally well. They, you know, they retained their staff, and in a period of eighteen months, they actually trebled their staff, even through the pandemic, which was an extraordinary thing. So, you know, um, I, I see nothing wrong with it at all. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, thought of as, uh, as as communistic or anything like that. But it's really, uh, you know, that's that's an organisation that's working to well, you know, it's working like a Swiss watch. Um, who could who could imagine that they that a finance company 
would, um, uh, through profit sharing, would be able to treble their staff in uh, during a pandemic. And they are powering along, and they're powering along. So, but guess what? The guy who runs it is a Christian and a devout Christian. I have a hunch here, and uh, Bill, you may or may not uh, agree, but when it's the initiative of the business owner to be so generous and include the profit sharing, then you have a Christian model. Uh, If you have a government legislating a profit sharing mentality, you have a socialist model, and there actually is some uh, major challenges with that even economically, But and so easily take a business off track. We're talking about some easy and practical ways that leaders can express love through their business. Christina, we've been talking about serving one another. Wonderful illustration, Jesus washing the disciples' feet has such major ramifications for everyone, even those who are in business. Let's talk about some other practical things. Uh, Christians need to lead, don't we, in the idea of accepting uh, that there are differences between one another in the workplace. Any thoughts here? Yes, exactly. Well, you know, we live in a very uh, diverse culture these days and, um, you know, accepting one another, if, if, if if we really needed to learn how to accept one another, now is the time. You've got people who in the workplace who are of all sorts of ages, of all sorts of persuasions, of all sorts of uh, dress habits, of all sorts of religions, of all sorts of sexualities, um, and they express them openly. So, you know, there's actually no room for biases like that, especially from Christians. Christians especially uh, can inadvertently give God a bad rap simply because they are biased and judgmental and therefore critical of people who are, who are not like them. Um, and, you know, this leads to a lot of division because um, when, we, when we are critical of somebody, they pick it up as being <clears throat> a criticism of them and it's certainly it's the antithesis of being cared for and loved. It's not being accepted. It says you're not part of us. You're, you know, this is clicky. This is this is schoolyard bully stuff, and we've got to get over it. So accepting one another is an important aspect of uh, of what happens in the workplace. I my heart went out to Bill earlier on, who was talking about um, how people who are unemployed, uh, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, are often derided for being dull bludgers. Well, I happen to have worked with seven hundred of them many years ago as well. And I had a lot of work to do uh, in, in, in turning around the culture of four different very large organisations, probably a combined staff of about 15,000, but I had to change their culture into accepting that um, just because you're unemployed and that you've been unemployed for a long time doesn't mean to say that you're a bad person or anything else about you. It just means that you've been unemployed, full stop, end of story. And that it could happen to you, it can happen to any of us. And certainly since then we've seen that that's exactly what has happened. But in those days, this doll bludger thing was a very, very strong uh, strong um, um, sense of, uh, of, of admonishment to people. <clears throat> it's no different to then as it is now, unfortunately, because Bill has told us so. So accepting one another is a critical part of being a Christian. You can't call yourself a Christian if you are not accepting of other people. It's as simple as that. Okay, taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Val in Sydney. Hi, Val. Welcome. Yeah, hello. Um, Interesting program. I thought I'd give you a call. Good. What are your thoughts? Uh, 
my thoughts are, so I've been researching um, tithing, tithing and almsgiving for about 10 years. And I sort of write notes today, actually, back to basics. And uh, what you're discussing there is basically parallel to what I'm doing. What I've discovered is that uh, every religion has the same concept. They only call it differently. Um, and they have the same principles. That's what attracted me to call you about... Uh, I think you mentioned uh, trans, uh, tr- transcended... Transcendence, transcended yeah. Principle. Yeah, yeah, transcendent and, principle. Yeah, transcendent principle. This is, yeah, a trans... You know, if Jesus is the creator of the universe, then, yes, his actions matter as much as his words, and the, the washing of the disciples' feet is what we were talking about there. Yes, so, uh, Val... Yes. Well, you see, the, the point is, uh, the more I look into uh, the tithing and the almsgiving uh, concept, uh, the more I see that uh, people are getting away from that. And, uh, you know, you look, I was just reading the statistics today about in America, like it looks like every generation we, we give less and less. We tithe less and less and we alms give less and less. And uh, we're robbing ourselves and robbing uh, the society, I guess, uh, and uh, that's why I'm so keen in doing this uh, project and hopefully to write a book and do a film. Well done, Val. A good contribution here. Uh, tithing and almsgiving, we think of that on a personal level. Uh, you're taking it to a new level here, uh, Val, even uh, the way that business functions. Uh, get a thought or two here from Christina. Christina, your thoughts for Val? Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I agree with you, Val. It's... Uh <clears throat> uh, it's something that I've looked into as well and it's really about uh, interestingly enough those who have very little are often the first ones to give uh, whereas those who have a great deal are often the ones to um, you know, they've got mops in their handbag um, and you know certainly don't share it around so it's it's uh, it's part of that. Uh, it's all about me, society, and I'm I, and and I'm and I rather than spend sixty dollars on putting it in uh, the salvos bin, I'm going to go down and get my nails done, or I'm going to get another tattoo or something like that. Which is you know, well you know, wouldn't somebody have been able to use that sixty dollars on something else? So I agree with you. Uh, keep it simple. Um, live frugally. Um, so that you can give to others. Um, you know, it's one of the saddest things if you have a job and you've been used to tithing and then you find yourself without a job and it's difficult to sort of even take care of yourself. One of the saddest things that I've heard people say is that I no longer have enough money to give to other people and I'm really upset about that. Uh, Val, while we've got you here, I don't know uh, what the giving principles are in uh, all of the different world religions. Uh, I'm across our Christianity, and uh, interestingly, because we have our Judeo-Christian, Old Testament and New, often we'll talk about that concept of the tithe as coming from an Old Testament understanding and oftentimes carried over into the New, but with a new dimension to it, that it's not 90% of what I have is mine and 10% is God's, and I might be generous with some extra alms giving. Of course, on this program, as many listeners will already be able to attest, uh, the thought that 100% is God's, and we are called to be stewards with it, and our generosity ought to be 
a bright and shining beacon of light about what it is to be a Christian believer. But uh, really good insight from you, Val. I really appreciate you calling in today. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316, 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts on and some of the some of the conversation around the generosity that happens in the workplace. Well, not all workplaces are feeling very generous if they're really tight on the bottom line. Uh, We'll talk about some of those things too. Christina, let's talk about some more of these practical things, the way we might love in the workplace, uh, strengthening one another, helping one another, encouraging one another. What are your thoughts around some of these concepts? Well, I think that they all, um, you know, I think your use of the word generosity uh, applies to all of these, actually, because a a generous spirit will be somebody who serves somebody else, will accept somebody else. They'll also strengthen someone else, help another one out, and encourage someone else. That has to come from a generous spirit, and that generous spirit can only be in someone if they totally understand who they are and where where everything they have comes from. Um, and, you know, that, that great generous spirit in the sky then gives us his spirit. And if he gives us his spirit, then it's much more likely that we will be able to strengthen somebody else when they need it, uh, that we'll be able to help someone else when they need it. And when we can encourage somebody else because we see great things in them, this generosity of spirit, I think, is at the root of a lot of what happens in society today, that it's absent, and but it is also... Uh, in, in abundance for those people who really understand God and what their place is in the world. Interestingly here, Christina, and I can hear a few listeners' brains rattling because sometimes when we think of generosity in the workplace as generosity that comes one way from the boss to the staff or maybe to the suppliers, uh, maybe, interestingly, we were talking about earlier how this sort of might even work towards competitors, generosity towards competitors, but it's a two-way street, isn't it? You don't have to be the boss to be a leader when it comes to a Christian basis for generosity. You might be the lowest on the ladder and you can make a demonstration of generosity that has a contagious effect. Any thoughts here about how somebody's got to break from the pack and stop being self-centred and being generous? Any thoughts here? Absolutely. Um, there's a wonderful story about a young man who used to work in a um, in a um, sort of like a cold superstore and he was disabled uh, and the only thing that he loved with a passion was God's word. And he was put on the bagging department, um, you know, just to put people's uh, groceries in their bag. And you know, for a while, the management couldn't understand why um, why everybody was starting, all their customers were beginning to wait in a long queue and to wait for him to bag their things. And, he, and they all said, what are they doing? Why are they all going there? And it was because... Every bag that he had that he put down, he also put a little word of God in the bottom of the bag, and people looked for that little word every day. And you, could you be any more humble than working in the bagging area? And could you be any more humble than somebody who has um, who, who has got a, a, a major disability? 
Interesting when you uh, talk about uh, how we are uh, generous and concerned with one another, an expression of love in the workplace, it can't all be just actions, can it? Uh, There needs to be some way that words are applied to why we might be loving or generous in a workplace and whether it's, as you say, uh, you know, some sort of a, a printed material uh, or whether it's something that you actually do say. And even the way you say that might be an important way of uh, delivering uh, your love in the in the workplace too. Any thoughts here around uh, on, on the fact that it's not just words but actions or it's not just actions, it's words? Um. Yes, I mean, like if we, you know, we pick on one that you were talking about before, encourage one another. So you can encourage people in lots of different ways. I mean, I can encourage my flatmate who comes home in the afternoon and she's a bit disappointed about something. I say, oh, well, that was a great, it was a a nasty part of the day, but you know what? It'll be better tomorrow. You love what you do. Don't let one customer upset you that much. You know, just get back on the horse tomorrow. It's a passing thing. So that's one way that you can encourage someone, you know, and you can do that in your home or you can do that wherever you like. Um, and you, as a, as a manager, you might encourage someone to, to learn something or rather. You might say, look, I know it looks a little bit difficult now and you haven't had a lot of, a lot of experience in working with facts and figures, but just try this for a little while and see if you like it. And if so, then you might be able to go on and do that and that and so on. So, so, so that's a way of encouraging someone. Or in a big organisation where they might have some of these fantastic uh, programs where, you know, you can go and do an MBA at their cost. All of those things encourage people. Um, you know, it encourages them. It shows them that they're valuable. It shows them that they are, uh, are, are worth um, building up. Um, encouraging one another is an incredibly important thing to do because, you know, encourage. I mean, courage runs out very easily these days. We've had so much to deal with in these last few years and it's not getting any better because we know we're living not in end times but certainly at the time of the end. Um, And we know that encouraging each other is going to have to be um, a really critical part of how we get through all of this. So, you know, to encourage somebody is one of the most meaningful and positive things that you can learn to do. Um, it's one of the things that, uh, that, that my friends always say to me, she said, Christine, they always say to Christina Harris, why are you like that? And I just, I don't know, it's just, it's just me, but I've always been like this. Even when I was a, a kid racing, swimming, I, you know, there'd be another kid next to me and they would, they'd be having trouble stroking. I'd say, gee, that was really good. What, try this. Hey, this is what I do. Have a go at that. And people would say, but you're helping somebody else to lose, to be, you know, to be better than you. And I said, well, um, I don't get it. You act as if life is a competition, whereas I think that life is a festival. Interesting, too, to reflect on, uh, you know, when the when the boss is offering you some sort of professional development, uh, sometimes you can cringe at that because it sounds like a lot of extra hard work and, oh, I've got to do this particular study. It may be, if you look a little bit deeper than that, uh, it may be the boss expressing some level of love which is encouraging your career. Uh, so uh, exactly. from that point of view, you've got to be able to interpret what's happening And I imagine that some of those sorts of things can go the opposite way as well because not every boss is going through, uh, you know, it's beer and Skittles and everything is fine and wonderful. Sometimes bosses 
are going through challenging times, whether it's uh, relationship problems or uh, challenging issues that they might be facing uh, in the, in their uh, workplace or in their personal life. And even as a staff member, uh, you might have some way of encouraging your boss because your boss needs that sort of encouragement too. You bet. You bet. There's nothing that a boss enjoys more than his team going, yay, boss, really like that idea. High five, boss. <laughs> um, you know, bosses need it as much as staff do. It's, it's not just, you know, calling the troops together and saying, we'll get through this, everything will be okay, just, you know, trust me, all that sort of stuff. No, he needs it as much as, or she needs it as much as anybody else does. And it doesn't matter if you're the, just a team leader or if you're a supervisor of a lot more people or a manager or an executive. Um, believe me, I work with some pretty high-flying guys who've got thousands of people reporting to them, but they need that encouragement. They just need that encouragement because their decisions are big, um, and they second guess themselves, and they think, "Well, um, who can I ask about this?" And you know, you go through that whole process with them of how did they come to the decision? What else could they have done? Who else are they asking? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Where are you getting your information from? So, and just by that, you're encouraging the person to look in all the different areas where they need to be looking to make the right decision. Um, and it, if if we think if we think that somebody who, who runs America or that runs the local garage are any different than not. It's just a different job. Carrying one another's burdens, uh, being concerned for one another. Uh, interestingly here, so far as our Christianity goes, uh, oftentimes, and of course there's going to be a place for this and a place not, but when someone's going through a really challenging time, and it might be outside of work, uh, sometimes this is where a pastoral care mentality of one staff member to another is that we are concerned for one another for what's going on at work, but also what's going on outside of business hours. And uh, one of those things that really uh, is very significant for the Christian believer, uh, even in a workplace where you're not taking up all the boss's time in all of this, but when you hear of someone who's going through a tough time, to offer a very simple prayer. Uh, I often will say prayer brings a pastoral care into the challenges that people are having. And so if you bring that prayer, you create a dimension where they can actually see the hand of God at work in resolving some of the issues uh, that they're involved in. But it's also one of those care things. You wouldn't offer to pray for someone unless you did care some ways deeply for that person. I don't know whether you've thought through this and, uh, you know, it's going to be different in every workplace. Hard to make some sort of a blanket rule for what Christians ought to do. But your thoughts here, Christina, the fact that we are caring for one another, a certain level of kindness and concern that can be at, at, approached with a simple prayer. Absolutely. Uh, and that happens, you know, it happens all the time. Uh, and it only happens, though, when you're very comfortable with the people that you're with. Um, uh, and even even uh, because we know that Christians are being persecuted at the moment, so that that doesn't necessarily mean to say that we have to not pray for that person because otherwise they will persecute me if they know that I am praying for them. It can be something like tithing. You can just be praying for somebody without them even knowing about it, but that you can smile to yourself when you see God's hand uh, working through that whole situation. But at a at a at a um, at a more practical level. Um, um, one of the things that I've always remembered is 
to be kind and tender-hearted to one another because you never know the problems that other people are going through. So carrying one another's burdens is, um, I think, linked back to what we talked about in the in the initial, which is serving one another. So, you know, there, there are definitely ways that you can help somebody uh, work through a burden simply by being there for them, being kind and tender-hearted. And it is a way in which God sends that person his love through you to them. And that love is sufficiently strong to help them to carry that burden a little stronger today. Um, they are encouraged by that love. They are encouraged by that care. Um, I, you know, we often underestimate how God how God works through people. Um, and it was something that I was really interested in a little while ago about I couldn't quite understand. I was struggling with the concept of unity and I wondered why it was so important. And it was because it's only then that we actually feel the sense of God's um, spirit working through us that we, you know, that we actually have that sense of unity with one another. So I think that God's spirit works through us when we are concerned for one another, when we are kind and tender-hearted to one another, especially when they're going through bad times. Well, we might all like to reflect more deeply on God's kindness and His tender-heartedness towards us and the way that we need to exemplify that tender-heartedness in the workplace. And and in case anyone is concerned about when we talk about a level of tolerance and acceptance uh, from the Christian side to others in our workplace, uh, these things are very powerful. And yes, you've got to be able to understand and process some of these thoughts according to uh, not compromising your key biblical values because we're all aspiring to strong biblical values. But that doesn't stop us from being accepting, tender-hearted and kind and tolerant uh, towards others who have different ideas. There's certainly a level of strength that we need to aspire to when it comes to knowing what's right Uh, not necessarily condoning what's wrong and still in that process uh, being one who is displaying the love, the love of Christ, and uh, that becomes uh, something powerful in our own relationships in the workplace. Well, wonderful getting some insights today, Christina Dean. Uh, Let me point listeners to how they can connect with you. (coughs) Talk about frogs in the throat. I think there's a little bit one in mine too. Uh, Christina leads Uniforte. The website is uniforte.com.au, U-N-I-F-O-R-T-E.com.au. Yes, Christina is available to help you through any major change in your own business organisation. My encouragement to be in touch with Christina. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. What a wonderful topic to finish the year on for me. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about love in the workplace. Who would have thought? (laughs) Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. We'll do this again in the new year. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 